ABC Always Be Casting. Well, podcasting. Anyway, it's the ADR podcast, and today I'm talking to you guys about a movie that came out, uh, wow, over 20 years ago now, uh, 1992, Glengarry Glen Ross, a movie about four real estate guys in Chicago that are racing to the top to uh, sell the most property over the course of a few weeks. Um, Turns out that uh, it shouldn't be a surprise to most of you listeners that the reason I watched Glengarry Glen Ross this weekend was because of Five by Five at the Movies with Merlin Mann and Dan Benjamin. They had their fantastic, fantastic episode about the movie released last week, and I wanted to be along for the ride, so I gave uh, the movie a watch for the second time, um, and then I listened to the episode, and it was incredible. Uh, that episode's going to be in the show notes, because those guys are great. If you haven't seen this movie, watch it, and then listen to the episode. It's really, really great, but um, I'm going to talk to you guys about not what they missed, but what I think uh, my take on the movie is, and how it's going to affect the rest of this week on ADR. Now, Glengarry Glen Ross is about these four guys in Chicago. They're selling real estate, and the movie opens on them. You know, they're trying to sell the leads, or uh, the leads they have are awful, and they can't close the deals unless they have the good leads. And then Alec Baldwin shows up. It's you know, very early into the movie. It's maybe 10 minutes in, not even, and Alec Baldwin shows up in his one and only scene in the movie and delivers one of the greatest monologues ever. He talks about what it means to work there and motivates them, or tries to anyway to get them to sell, to get them to close, to get them to pursue their leads and, uh, you know, try to shove them down people's throats. Because he tells them, this is the reason why we're watching the movie, the top two people that are, uh, that sell the most get to keep their job. And no one else does. The uh, bottom two are fired. So first place is a Cadillac. Second place, a set of steak knives. Third place, you're fired. And fourth place, you're fired. And my favorite thing about this movie is that, you know, I'll talk about this later, but that original monologue was not in the play. The original play that this is based on, it's incredible. So, you know, I can't imagine the movie without it, but it's one of the most iconic things out there in cinema, and it's absolutely beautiful. Anyway, uh, so the movie continues, and it's all very, very talky. It's very dense. Uh, It cuts back and forth between a bunch of different guys in suits, and, uh, you know, it's... A bunch of white guys in the same suits and just cutting back and forth between dialogue scenes with all of them. There's only one female character in the movie, and it is the uh, woman at the coat check at the Chinese restaurant across the street. So it's a very, you know, white, American, upper-class, male uh, kind of movie. But I think what it has to say about uh, you know that kind of culture and what it means to live here in America, and what it means to really kind of screw your friends over and uh, screw co- clients out of uh, you know their money. That speaks a lot to the way that uh, you know how David Mamet, the screenwriter and author of the original play, really thinks about American culture, which I think is brilliant. Uh, listen to Five by Five at the movies for a lot more about that. But today I'm going to talk to you guys about the camera work uh, because I think what's most interesting about this it's very talky. It's based on a play. And when movies are based on plays, you get a lot of different, you know, camera styles. You get a lot of different ways that the director uh, tells the story. So in movies based on plays, this is a fantastic example of this. Uh, it's very constrained. Uh, it takes place mostly at the office with a few other scenes at, you know, a house or two, a phone booth, in the car, the Chinese restaurant across the street. And, you know, that's it. It's just a few small locations over the course of 100 minutes and that's where you are. That's where you get to hang out with these characters, and that's it. Uh, the camera work is very subdued. It's all about, uh, you know, the actors. It's 
the camera is just is a means to an end so that the audience can see the actors and their wonderful performances. Uh, definitely, definitely one of the greatest casts ever assembled. You know, they talk about this on 5x5. Five five. They uh, have a lot of wonderful moments where, you know, the script comes together, the actors come together. It's a perfect moment in their career, the perfect people to play these roles. You know, this movie was a lightning strike. It's incredible the way that everything comes together to create one of the coolest movies ever made um but the camera work just showcases that that's the point of the camera work in this kind of movie because it is based on a play when you're in a play you're sitting in a single room uh you only get one vantage point the entire play it's in your seat looking at the stage and there's you know 500 different vantage points because there's 500 different people sitting looking at the stage so Plays are written to showcase that. There's lots of monologues in this movie, especially the uh, you know the Alec Baldwin one at the very beginning, even though it wasn't in the original play, which blows my mind. But you know they're just putting the script and the actors on display. That's not to say that the camera work is bad. There's lots of really wonderful moments where you know the lighting and the uh, you know the set design and the you know the camera work comes together. There's wonderful moments where uh, you know two people are having a conversation conversations comprise 90-95% of this movie, Um, and there's moments where the camera just decides to whoosh, whoosh, like, around them in a circle to indicate a mood change, and I think it's brilliant the way that the audience is cued into that, you know, very, very subtly, but you could tell as soon as there's that moment where the camera swirls around the two actors talking there's going to be a shift in what they're talking about, how they talk about it. They do the same thing in, um, in what's it called? Requiem for a Dream. There's a scene between Jared Leto and uh, his mom, and they just whoosh, whoosh around the actors, break the line uh, very intentionally to show there's a uh, change in tone, and it's brilliant. And this movie uses it to wonderful, wonderful effect. So again, I've talked about this before. David Mamet, who wrote the... Uh, wrote the original play, is involved in the movie, and I talked about this before, when a movie can get the original creator of the original work involved, I think it makes for something really, really entertaining, because, uh, you know, they know exactly what to cut, how to translate, how to, you know, change things, uh, what to add, what to take away, you know, they had to add the uh, opening monologue with Alec Baldwin, because the play is notoriously short, and it gives a lot more and it gives you a lot more reason for why these people are acting the way that they are. It gives you much more of a uh, real reason to keep watching, a real motivation. And I think it's great. You know, the uh, little uh, the little bundle of uh, Glengarry leads that are tied up in a ribbon, a little pink light. You know, it's brilliant the way that that is the MacGuffin to the movie. And then as things go on, you get these... Uh, wonderful, wonderful actors and wonderful characters that are just disintegrating the way that by the end of the movie, everyone is, you know, in shambles. You know, there's a break-in, there's, you know, lies, theft, deception. Um, I, I can't even begin to describe, I don't want to spoil anything, but the way that the movie just progresses, it's like lightning. It's like there's moments where it's so incredibly talky, but you're so engrossed in it because everything they say is so poignant. It's delivered perfectly. Uh, Al Pacino, who plays one of the guys, was uh, nominated for Best Supporting, I believe, uh, this year. He didn't win. But it's incredible to think that, you know, these guys are just talking and you're so engrossed because, A, the things that they're talking about are so, you know, incredibly 
not necessarily relevant, but they resonate in a way that's indicative of how American consumerism and business culture is. It's so, it rings so true, and so many people can relate to it, at least, or look at it and say, wow, this is the way that America is, and it's really screwed up, isn't it? And that's why I think the real star of this movie is the script, uh, keeping you on your toes, keeping you entertained, keeping you, you know, engrossed in everything that's happening for 100 minutes of straight dialogue. It's brilliant. I wanted to use Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross as a uh, starting point for a whole week full of analysis of movies based on plays. I think if Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is any indication, if you do it right, bringing something from the stage to the screen can be incredible. It can be overwhelming in the best possible way. It can really be something that sticks with you for years and years. Merlin Mann on uh, Back to Work this week talked a lot about how... um, he never bought many VHS tapes, but this is one of them because, you know, it's something that you can just rewatch again and again and again. You always notice something new. But if you choose the right things to bring over correctly and if you have the right cast, things can really, really electrify the screen the same way that the right cast, script, set design, everything can really electrify a stage. So I'm really excited to bring you guys more thoughts and analysis of things that started their life on the stage but ended up on the screen in some way or another. Until tomorrow, watch more movies.